I wonder if you're on Instagram, if I was to have a little look at your feed, I would sure I'd be really interested to see because each one of us that's on there, we tend to like lean towards certain things, whether you use Instagram to follow maybe people that do amazing meals or um, yeah, makeup for some of us, whatever it might be. But my thing on Instagram is I love a good renovation project. And I follow loads of accounts, particularly of people that have bought like ginormous manor houses in like utter ruin. And then I sort of watch with a mixture of sort of envy and relief that it's not me. <laughs> you know, as you watch like always the roof ends up costing way more than anyone thought. I don't know why people don't realize, you know, they ought to listen to Andy's notice. These things cost money. Um, but you know, and they're always like, oh no, what are we going to do? And I kind of go through that with them. There's someone I follow in Oxfordshire and they are converting this um, ancient old bakery and they found these amazing beams and they were so happy and they posted it on Instagram, these beams. And I was like, the beams are lovely. And then the beams were stolen. And I was like, are you kidding me, people? And she put them there. And I felt it so much. Then they were returned. And I'm literally, I don't know this woman from Adam, I'm literally private messaging her going, I'm so happy that your beams have been found. And uh, she sent me a lovely one back. She also was happy about her beams. I love a good renovation project. And I was listening um, and reading to Nehemiah recently and uh, my ears pricked up because if ever there was a renovation project to behold, um, it all happens in the book of Nehemiah. Um, we're going to read from there in a moment, but let me just give you a little bit of background. So God's people have been taken off into exile, into the land of Babylon, where they've been for years against their will. Um, what happened is that the land was just ransacked um, by the Babylonians and the temple was destroyed and all of the articles associated with the worship of God, they were carried off. The walls around Jerusalem were destroyed and the people were taken off and they were living in exile all this time. And after like 70 years of living in this other place where they were not freely allowed to worship God, their identity as God's people really as much destroyed as the land was, um, after all that time, they were allowed to return. And they begin to return in dribs and drabs. And if you're wanting to kind of like place it in history, if you know your Old Testament, what you've got is you've got Daniel and Ezekiel, they happen during this exile. And then you've got Ezra and Esther. Do you remember Esther going before the king? All of that happens. And then you've got the story of Nehemiah. And Nehemiah is not a spiritual leader, in quotes, but it, what happens is that he has got um, sort of position and authority in this foreign kingdom. He works for the king, but he, he asks the king permission to go, and he's allowed to go. And what his heart is, is to oversee the building project, the renovation. It's to um, put, call people together and build a team that are going to rebuild the walls. And, uh, and that's what happens. And we're just going to quickly look then at, well, actually, I say quickly. We're going to read a, quite a chunk of scripture, which I hope will be okay, being as we're in church. And uh, it's from Nehemiah chapter 4, starting at verse 6. So we rebuilt the wall till, oh, I need my glasses. I was just thinking, why can't I actually see what Nehemiah 6 says? That's going to help a lot. Right, so we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half of its height, for the people worked with all their heart. 
But when Sambalat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the people of Ashdod heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is given out and there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Also, our enemies said, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and will kill them and put an end to the work. Then the Jews who lived near them came and told us 10 times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to our own work. From that day on, half of my men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows and armour. The officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other, and each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. But the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. Then I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, the work is extensive and spread out, and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us. So that's the story of this group of people that Nehemiah called together. And if we could go back in time, and if we had a drone, and we could hover over Jerusalem, here's what we would see. We would see rubble and ruin, where the old wall had been burnt down and destroyed. And this wall around Jerusalem was really significant. I don't know how many of you are watching the rings of power at the moment. If you're at the beginning and you're finding it a bit hard going, keep going, and then it will get your heart just as much as the films. But anyway, I could talk about that another day. Um, But what you often see with these big battles is that the places where they live, they're surrounded by a wall for their protection. And that's exactly that, that kind of image. Have that in your head because that's what they needed. That's what they didn't have. This wall for protection, it had been torn down. But the wall was not just about that because it also sort of marked out this holy city. Inside the wall would have been the temple before that was destroyed. And the temple was not only the place of their worship and their sacrifice, but it was the place where God himself world. And so then you see that once the wall is broken down as it had been and the temple destroyed, how significant these walls are. So that drone footage, you're seeing ruins and you're seeing people that have been called together to rebuild what has been destroyed. They, there's a, it's a big project and they're spread out. And now as you hold that image in your head, 
Here's where Nehemiah begins to speak to us today. Because we are called to build. Not build a wall, not build a wall of protection, but we're called to build with God his kingdom. And so now as we hold that picture, what I would love us to do is just look into what, what is their story, that little bit that I read, how does that speak to us today? And the first thing I wanna say is we need to build our bit of the wall. You need to be building your bit of the wall. The kingdom of God come where you are, where he has placed you, in your workplace, in your family, in the places where you hang out. You get to be someone who embodies and builds the kingdom of God. What does that look like? Wherever the king is, wherever his rule and reign is, our king, it looks like love. Um, in that really familiar passage that we so often have in wedding vows, but it's so much wider than that. We read that love is patient, it's kind, it doesn't envy, it doesn't boast. Love isn't proud, it's not rude or self-seeking, not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. These are like our building blocks. This is how God loves us. And this is how he calls us to build his kingdom. You know, we regularly pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. And so often the way that he chooses to do that is through our hands and through our voices and through us uh, creating cultures and atmospheres, ways of being that embody him and his love. Build your bit of the wall where he's placed you. A couple of stories from someone else's bit of the wall. I was at church here, um, I don't know, more than a year ago now, and I was just walking up the aisle, and I saw someone, and I said, morning, how are you? And she said, I'm good. She said, God is good, isn't he? And I said, yeah, he really is good, but tell me why you said that. Because I was just really intrigued that that was her response to, morning, why did you say God is good? And she went on to tell me a story that a couple of weeks before that, she um, actually, someone had crashed into the back of her car. <laughs> so that's an interesting thing when you just say God is good. Someone had crashed into her car, and it wasn't an average car. It was a Porsche. And this person had crashed into the back of it, and I don't know if you know, but when someone goes into the back of you, it's, it's their fault. They're the ones that have to take the, the blame and the, sort out the payment for that. And so they exchanged details, these two women. And as this lady from our church went home and stepped into her front door, she felt God say very clearly, I don't want that lady to pay a penny for the damage that she's just caused. I want you to cover it. Oh, <laughs> I love that. Remember, her story is God is good. Anyway, he is. Um, so she really initially fought that because that did not sit brilliantly well with her, but she just couldn't escape the fact that she knew that that was what God was saying. So she tried to ring this lady, and the lady didn't pick up. And for five days, she tried calling this lady, and uh, this lady never once picked up. And so in the end, she just left a message on her voicemail, and she just said on her voice note and said, um, I don't know like, what about this situation means that you don't want to take my call. And then she said, I don't know if you have a faith at all, but I'm a Christian, and God has told me that you're not to pay a penny of the damage that's been caused in my car, but that I'm to cover that. And so call me back so that we can deal with this. And the lady rang her back just in floods of tears. 
And uh, it turns out that she didn't have the right insurance. And she said, I've got 35 pounds in my bank account. And I had no way of knowing how I was going to pay for the damage. So no wonder this woman said, God is good. <laughs> Isn't he good? And she said, I'm taking her out for lunch. And she said, I so hope I get to share the gospel with her. I was like, I think you already have. <laughs> there we go. She's building where she was, responding to something that God said very specifically to her, building in love and in kindness and in mercy. Another quick snapshot from another part of the wall. I was at an event here a couple of weeks ago, and I was sat with the wonderful June Nayako. I don't know if she's here this morning, but if any of you know June, she's just so lovely. And she is a manager of social workers. So she used to be a social worker herself, and now she manages a team of social workers. And it's her job to sit, you know, between the powers that be that say this is what has to happen, but then overseeing and looking after this group of social workers and getting them to get the job done. And she came that day really stressed because there had been quite a, yeah, and not a very nice situation at work that she had had to uh, work hard to support her team in. And as I listened to her, I was just so struck with the fact that June just embodies grace and patience, and she's not easily angered, keeps no record of wrongs. And there she is where God has placed her, and she's building the kingdom through her kindness, through the fact that she takes drama out of a situation rather than adding to it, where God has placed us. We need to be building something of the kingdom. It might look small, but so often it is just one brick at a time. And just like for the Jews, you'll know if you follow any kind of renovation product project that renovation is much harder than a new build. And for us as we build where we are, we are not gardening in Eden. We are not um, just working with the easiest always of materials because the world is broken and damaged and hurting and we are broken, damaged and hurting. And yet still, knowing that, because God is not naive or blindsided, knowing that he still says, where I've placed you, build. What would it look like for more of the kingdom of God to be built up where he has placed you? What would it look like for atmospheres to begin to change, for cultures to begin to soften? There's a friend of ours who years ago was in a really toxic work environment where everyone was gossiping about each other behind their backs, where there was all kinds of backstabbing, and really not a nice, pleasant place to work. And our friend was just asking God what he could do about it, and the Lord spoke to him, and so he went and he bought a whole load of Kit Kats, and he went into his workplace when everyone had gone home one night and he hid the Kit Kats in desk drawers and in in trays and he even very sneakily put one in his own desk drawer so that no one would know it was him. And when he came into work the next day, everyone was so excited. It's amazing how excited we get about a bar of chocolate at work, but I'm so excited about this chocolate and everyone was talking about who was it, who could it be? David was like, I don't know, who could it be? And what happened is, because everyone had in the back of their mind, it could have been you and it could have been you, they didn't know who gave them the chocolate. So you can't gossip about anyone because it could have been them. And you can't 
stabbed the back of someone that gave you a Kit Kat, and through this one simple thing, atmosphere and culture began to change. Wherever you are, however small it might seem, God, let your kingdom come through me. More of your love, Lord, where I am. So that's the first lesson, is wherever you are, build. And the second lesson is that somehow we need to be in this together. I don't know if you noticed, but a couple of times in the reading, it talked about how spread out and how extensive the work is. And what that can mean is we can end up feeling like we're very much alone, Um, because I don't know how you first, when I first started reading, how you pictured that building project. But when I first came across it, I sort of imagined it as like a really fun team, like there's music on and we're just painting a wall together and we're laughing like an episode of Friends or something and someone comes around with some snacks like, hey, you're building the wall, like you probably need a brownie. But that's not the picture that Nehemiah actually paints for us. The work is extensive and spread out. They are not side by side. And then in that place, just on their own, putting brick on brick and taking broken stone and burnt out rubble on their own. And that is so often how we can feel. First of all, that this isn't going to make much difference, this little bit that I'm bringing. And I'd say to that, every wall gets built one brick at a time. Mother Teresa says, never worry about numbers. Help one person at a time. And always start with the person nearest to you. Feels like we're on our own, but if we're all doing it, the wall gets built, the kingdom gets built. A few months ago, I had gone on my very first weekend residential training um, as I embark on this new life of training to be a vicar. And part of what uh, that involves is, yeah, these regular weekends and even weeks away where we get a lot of learning in one go. And um, I did one of these a couple of weeks ago, and I tagged on, while I was already away, I'd already left the kids, and they were doing fine without me, I tagged on just one night away with some of my besties, and we went to this B&B and had a great time away for 24 hours. And this B&B, which I'd come across online, was hilarious, because it was a lovely farmhouse, but it was like B&Bs used to be, so it was like someone's home, and then we all just sat around a really big dining room table and had breakfast together, and it's like, I'm British, and I'm now talking to a stranger, hello, and it's like over breakfast, like, it's kind of awkward, but you know, anyway, so we're talking to this other couple, and they're really chatty, and they're telling us all sorts of things, and they asked, like, how come I was there, and I said, oh, I've just had this weekend training to be a vicar, and this man, Neil, was like, oh, I'm not religious, but you know, all power to you sort of thing. And then as we carried on talking, he he told us that he's in fact dying. He doesn't have long to live. And so he's working through, uh, a family member encouraged him to make a bucket list. And so he's going through his bucket list doing these last things before he dies, including learning to play the organ. So he's going all around England, playing various organs in different churches. And we had a great chat. And the whole time I'm just saying, I'd really like to pray for him. I I don't want to leave without praying for him, but I was quite nervous about that. It's quite a nerve-wracking thing, isn't it? But I'd already played the vicar card, which in one sense is quite helpful. I'm like, ah, interesting. It's like people, particularly of a certain age, suddenly don't think of you as a weirdo anymore. (laughs) I mean, they don't know I am, but, you know, but I'd already told them that I'm trained to be a vicar, and so I thought, that's my my inroad. He already knows I'm religious. So I, so, Right at the very end of breakfast, he said, got to go now, going on for these other blood tests. So 
I just said, Neil, if it's all right, I would really like to pray for you for healing. And he just stopped and was like, that's incredible. How kind, how kind. And he said, someone else had asked me before if they could pray for me. He said, it was one of the times I was in hospital and there was a lady that was there visiting her very sick husband. And this lady offered to pray for me. And he said, "Um, the thing is, She's obviously from one of those like charismatic Pentecostal churches (laughs) because she said, right, I'm going to pray for you right there and then. And she laid hands on me. He's thinking me of the vicar. He's thinking he's not going to get any of those kind of shenanigans. But I was like, well, Neil, (laughs) that's actually what I would like to do for you now, if that's all right. And he was like, oh, okay, okay. So he stood up and I did a very simple prayer, you know, just asking the Lord would be with him and would heal him. And it was very simple, and on he went. And at the end, he just was like, he kept saying again, that was so kind, that was so kind. And you know what really struck me is that somewhere out there is my sister in Christ, who in a hospital ward, while visiting her very ill husband, laid a brick, and she built something of the kingdom in Neil's life. And she'd had no idea what happened from that point. And then I got to meet him. And I got to lay another brick. And I got to rejoice that my sister in Christ had taken a moment to be kind and to pray for someone. She's building. I'm building. So often we don't see what each other is up to. Because when we go from here, gathered here, watching online, we will then be dispersed into all kinds of places and situations. And I'm not coming with you tomorrow. And the person sat next to you is probably not coming with you tomorrow. But you don't go alone. We find ways to stand together. And one of the things that happens when we come into this building, or if you're in a connect group, um, that we find ways to share our stories of our part of the wall. Like, uh, my, where I'm building right now is really hard, or where I'm building, I'm seeing this encouragement. And it's one of the reasons why it's so important that we find ways to stand together when the rest of the time we're out seemingly on our own in isolation building our part of the wall. That's why it says in Hebrews, don't give up meeting together. And I know that there was a whole season, we all lived it, where we had to give up meeting together because of this thing called COVID. And for on and off for like two years, we had to access church through a camera. And I know that some of you, that is still how you have to access church. For some of you watching online, it's because you can't be in a building like this for all sorts of reasons. And of course, we're so glad that you're here and you're welcome. But for most of us, what happens on a camera, it should only be a supplement, not a substitution for being in family. When we come together like this, it's our opportunity as we worship God together and we listen to his word, as we hang out in our small groups, this is where we get to cheer one another on. I remember back in January, I had COVID, which then turned into like post-COVID, long COVID, whatever. And I couldn't be here for a few months, which was horrible. Um, but I remember as I, when I did come back, I wasn't strong enough to stand up. I wasn't strong enough to sing. So I just sat um, where I was. And as I sat there, not standing, not singing, 
you around me sang. You around me worshipped. Like, and it struck me again how powerful the body is that worship of Jesus wasn't lacking that morning because I couldn't bring it because you brought it, brought, brought it, you brought it, and I'm part of you, and you're, we are one family. And when we come together, it's our way that we can cheer one another on. Didn't we find that in that time of where we couldn't cheer each other on in COVID, lots of us began to lose perspective. Lots of us, the isolation really got to us. And we began just to not see very clearly. And lots of us were affected in different ways. But insecurities, I noticed, as someone that talks to lots of you and also lives my own life, you know, that lots of us, our insecurities were heightened. And we had a, a, a real sense of loneliness that made a lot of us quite down. And we lost perspective. And I remember in the midst of that, when we were allowed going for a walk with Andy um, one day just to talk through some, some things. And, and he listened as I just went on and on and on about all kinds of things that had been really worrying me and upsetting me and concerning me and la, 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 la. And he listened as we walked and walked and walked around this area. And when I finally sort of stopped and drew a breath, Andy just very simply said to me, Ali, is there any chance that you're not seeing this exactly as it is? That's all he said. Ali, is there any chance that you've got this a bit wrong? And in that moment, it was like clarity came. Relief came. Not, he didn't preach a sermon at me. He didn't, you know, tell me, oh, Ali, this, 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 and this. He asked a simple question. And through that simple question, my eyes were opened. And I couldn't do that for myself. Because we all have blind spots, every single one of us. We can't do it alone. I know there's a couple in our church at the moment who are going through a really, really hard time. And I'm watching with joy, not at their circumstances, but at their connect group who have rallied around them with a meal rota, with prayer, with helping out with childcare. It's an incredible thing to watch and it's the way it should be. And what happens is, I don't know if you noticed in that reading, but there was this moment where they just talked about the work is really hard and the workers are getting tired. And we need to cheer one another on. I'm an on-again, off-again runner, mainly off. <laughs> so when I do run, I'm not very good. And there are some people in this church that are like crazy good runners. And I remember when I went back to park run, which is for some only 5K, for me it's like 5K, and I was struggling, I had one kilometer to go, and I was so knackered, and all that in your head where you're like, I can't do it. And then two people from our church, who had finished ages ago, they weren't even like out of breath, they just came and stood on that corner, and as I turned the corner onto it, I just heard them going, go on, Ali, go on, you can do it, you can do it. And who would have thought that that could make a difference? My lungs were still as tired as they had been before, and my legs had wanted to give out, but it was like adrenaline just came through me as they shouted my name and as they cheered me on and the energy for that last kilometer because of their cheers and encouragement was incredible. And when we don't meet together, we miss out. We miss out on being cheered on and we miss out on being the ones who get to cheer someone else on. They positioned themselves together, side by side around that wall. Um, you know, spears in hand, bows in hand, because their army, they had an army against them. We don't have an army against us. 
But Ephesians tells us our battle is not with um, flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and all kinds of things as we step into building the kingdom of God. The enemy, Satan, comes against us in all kinds of ways. And as we enter into this broken world, all thick kinds of things come against us. We don't stand together um, with bows and spears, but we stand together with encouragement, with prayers, with meal rotors, with sharing the stories of what's happening in your bit of the wall and what is happening in mine. And then finally... The other lesson to learn from this group of people rebuilding the wall is their confidence was in God. That's what Nehemiah kept putting them, pointing them back to. Be confident in God. It says there, uh, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And that is our job. When we go from this place to remember that we don't just sit here and say, Holy Spirit, come. But wherever we go, we say, Holy Spirit, would you be at work in and through me? That we would remember that we don't go into tomorrow on our own. But his presence, he, he is in us, he is with us. It's Christ in us, the hope of glory. That he has promised, never will I leave you, nor will I forsake you. He has promised that he will be with us to the very end of the age. And so whatever you go back to from here, you go back with him. But do you know that it's not, that's not just meant to be a comfort? Yes, it is a comfort, but we don't just go with, oh, that's nice, I've got a friend. We go with the one who is the king of kings, the lord of lords, the, the, the commander of the heavenly hosts goes with you into where he has placed you and the place where he has asked you to build. So he's not just a comfort blanket, he is the savior of the world. So what does that look like for where he's placed you? What are the things that you cannot imagine changing? Where are the difficult situations and the problems that you're seeing in people's lives where it's not just like, oh Lord, would you help me just be with them? But Lord, would you come and bring change? Would you come and turn this situation around? How might our prayers change if we didn't just think about him being with us, but being powerful? That is what he is. That is who he is. We go back to that drone footage and we see this group of people who are scattered and weary, but determined as their worship to build. Let that be an encouragement to our heart. We may be weary, but we are determined where God has placed us to build something of his kingdom, our little bit, with him, in him, and for him, that we would see his kingdom come where we are. Amen.